the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. All right, we're here with Jim Park. He is the CEO and co-founder of the Mortgage Collaborative. Welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, it's great, man. So uh, you're a San Diego native or did you come in from... Well, I... I live here. Okay. Uh, I live not that far from this uh, studio yep. in your office. Mm-hmm. Um, I live here in Carlsbad and Sanitas area, so it, was, it wasn't too far of a drive, so it was really nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. so great to have you here. So you tell us a little bit about the collaborative, the mortgage collaborative. I, I know a little bit about it. I know it's uh, you, you're doing a lot of great things for you know lenders out there and brokers, so tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, happy to do that. You know, uh, we started this about nine years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and and the effort, the idea was to give small, mid-sized originators an opportunity to get the benefit of being a larger player. Right. Um, so we get, um, you know, a little bit like collective bargaining on all the mm-hmm. products and services that a lender would need to use to yeah. manufacture a loan. So you know, from uh, title to point of sale tools to credit, whatever it is that you need. Uh, we help to bring the best in class providers mm-hmm. and we try to provide the lowest cost option for our members. The thing that people actually love about the organization beyond the savings yep. is really, um, you know, people say being a CEO of a lend, you know, and you are one, right. a CEO of a lending institution is the loneliest place to be at times, right? Yeah. When the market's fluctuating, things are changing, you're deploying new strategies and you're like, okay, I hope this thing works right. because if it doesn't, I have to lay people off or my business goes sideways or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I think one of the great things, we have about 260 members now. So mm-hmm. you have 260 CEOs of major small mid-sized lenders in the yeah. country. And we can share ideas, bounce ideas off of each other. One of the things that I have seen in the mortgage business, I've been, I've been part of this for almost 30 years now, is that we keep information and knowledge about the business too close to the vest. Yeah. We have way more in common. It's like we're all have these secrets or yeah, something. Yeah, we have all the secret sauce everywhere. Everyone has a secret sauce. It's like, no, you have the same rates as everyone. <laughs> yeah, but I think what happens is people, when they come to our event, and one of the, hopefully one of these days you'll, you'll be able to participate. Yeah. Um, when they come, they actually come and share tremendous amount of ideas and data about how they deploy their business. That's cool. You know, um, you know their, their, their execution, the days to close. Literally every factor, major KPI in their business model, you can compare against other like, likely positions, similarly right. positioned um, organizations, and um, people walk away with just just tons of great ideas. Mm-hmm. People have deployed new business channels because of being a part of the network. So it's it's just been great uh, for yeah. the members. It's been great, very fulfilling for me because I can see lenders doing great. Um, well, obviously, last year, last couple of years, everyone has done great right you know um but you know you we'll have, I, to have your light on and you know yeah, yeah, are, yeah like I'm, phones I'm, ringing you know? yeah I'm in, I'm in business now the question is what happens in 2022 and beyond as a rate With environment rates, changes yeah, right absolutely so like it goes down to as small as like credit you know getting your credit reports at a better price right exactly so if you can save you know instead of i don't even know what they cost now like 20 something bucks for yeah, yeah. a credit pool you can save you know 20 percent on that or yes right? and like, it's it's all about you know appraisals a, like do think you about all the click on? fees that you have like you know right. every time you you know every time you have a client you're like going through tons of these things right it all so adds up it all adds up at the end um some of it it's related to like major deployment of technology like you know if you've decided to use a new point of sale tool there's a discount for that yeah um we also have relationship with the gscs and other institutions so that you get 
some additional consideration uh, with those organizations as well. Some training, some education, participate in their program. So yeah. it's been, it's been, um, it's been, you know, it's sort of been a great access point for our mm -hmm. members mm -hmm. in many ways, and so it's it's been terrific. I like what you said about like you know it's kind of lonely at the top with the CEOs, and it's like it's true you don't know where to go sometimes for answers. You know, I mean, yeah. especially like some of us, you know, it's not like we, you know have been CEOs of multiple mortgage companies where we have this experience where we've grown companies, you know, to a huge number and then, you know, dealt with COVID or like think pan. I mean, all this stuff is new, yeah. right? Like I, I think it literally everyone went through COVID together yeah. <laughs> for the first time. Right. I mean, it's yeah. like, like people go, what, what do I do now? Right. So do you I mean, lay people off? Do you hire? Do you, do you take up talent? Or? All of that stuff was discussed. Like the big thing was remote, you know, remote yeah. work. Right? right. And so we had tons of sessions. Uh, virtual session at that point because obviously our in-person events we couldn't do right so we did tons of virtual sessions on how to deploy your business yeah in that kind of environment right and how do you create a workforce how do you keep them engaged how do you you know maintain uh production the mm -hmm. way you want it mm -hmm. um and that's the, actually been the pretty amazing thing right we yeah. we hit this massive pandemic and we still were able to get the business done right. and really pivot pretty quickly as an industry. So. Yeah, that's great what you're doing. So do you ever have, uh, is, does it even go as, like I started with a small example, like credit reports. Does it go over, go big as like, you know, lobbyists and things like that? Like, do you ever tackle bigger issues? With well, we have law firms. Mm -hmm. uh, we have law firms that are provide support to our members. Mm -hmm. um, we have, um, we, my background is I started out my career 30 plus years ago as a lobbyist in okay. Washington, D.C. So, oh, so you know what I'm talking about. I love that stuff. I love that stuff, but I also love building a business. Yeah. So uh, that's why I moved out to San Diego about 16, 17 years ago. But um, Get out of yeah, D.C. Get out of D.C. But we know, we know that, that regulation policy has a direct impact on our business. It does. And yeah. if, you, if you think about, I know people talk about oh you know what i don't want all this regulation on me blah 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 right? It, right people are complaining about it the fact is that if you think about dodd frank right all the changes that came about yeah. it actually normalized the business it got it got us back to a point we could actually compete and you know we didn't have to worry about like someone doing something crazy out Some there rogue yes i mean people Ninja were loans and stuff people are chasing deals because it wasn't regulated right you know we were doing some crazy stuff back then and now yeah. you don't have to worry about those things as much right we compete on you know to some extent on price particularly against some of the larger players but yeah you know on service and just being a good lender right and that's right. that's um it's good to kind of be not to worry about all these other things yeah right so yeah, regulation sometimes can be onerous and all of that, but also it does kind of even out the playing field. And I think we have, uh, as an industry, have demonstrated that despite the regulation, despite CFPB mm -hmm. and all the regulatory bodies that, that, that oversee our operation, we can still have the best two years of our life, right? right. I mean, I, mean we, I don't think we'll, I don't know, I, I, it certainly won't repeat in my lifetime. I'm getting old, but, you know. Yeah, it, rates, rates were really good. Yeah. and people had a lot of equity and could yeah. you know a lot of people had good credit it was like a interesting like a golden age for uh for mortgages yeah. hopefully it's not over right yeah <laughs> you've seen that you know you, you said you've been in the business 30 years so you've seen a lot of ups, ups and downs you know the the 9-11 the uh you know the rate even in 2018 when the rates hiked up and people laid off you know yeah. now we're hearing like some of these big lenders are, are laying people off again and 
you know, what, what are your thoughts right now with kind of the market? You know, do you see, I, I know they're going to probably hike rates maybe four times this year they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see this as, you know, some opportunities or do you like, what are your thoughts on the market right now? Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, what we experienced in the last few years, it's wasn't sustainable. I mean, that, that level of volume, yeah. um, the margin we, we were making as an industry on the loans. I mean, that, that those, those, you know, pretty healthy margins. I don't know how long you can keep repeating that. Right. So, but I think, um, you know, we're looking at maybe 30% lower production volume in 2022 relative to 2021, right? Right. About a third less. But still, it's still going to be one of the highest volume year. Yeah, if, like if, compared to 2018 or something, right? right? Yeah. You know, if you look at historically, it's going to be a pretty solid year. Yeah. And, and we have an opportunity still to make money. But also, I think we also have to remember that we're in the business of pe- putting people in homes, yeah. getting them to, you know, you know, uh, finance their dream, right? And yeah. so that's the business we're in. So I think we have to, we're going to make some money doing it. But we're also going to do some great things uh, for people's lives. And I think that's important to kind of remind ourselves when we're kind of, you know, um, we're thinking about, okay, what do I do to deal with the volume reduction or how do I deal with uh, maintaining my, you know, employee base and all of that stuff. That's the business, yeah. you know, we, we were lucky to be in. Yeah. What I've, I've heard, and I'm not a real estate agent or anything, but I've heard that, you know, it's, it's sometimes tough for buyers uh, who, you know, who may, may not have cash or large down payments to get into homes because the seller of course is going to look at, you know, all cash offer or 50% down or, you know, and if you have a VA loan or you have like, you know, a loan with very small, small down payment, you're going to have people that are like, I don't know if I want to take this loan on, you know, I don't want to risk it. So sellers are just taking these, I mean, it's crazy market, right? With way above offer, you know, offering over, over, which someone who has a small down payment can't really do that because then they might have to make up the difference if the appraisal doesn't come in. right? Right. You know, so, but someone with cash can just, pay you know it, it, pay it is crazy the amount of cash that's sitting out there yeah right and um i think it is important i mean the rates are going to push up and it's going to it's going to impact real estate sales i right. mean there's going to be less people chasing after deals so you'll be in some ways that's sort of the silver, silver lining right because you know you may not be one of 20 people going after a property it might be right. one of five or right. six right and that that gives you a better chance of getting it uh, maybe you don't have to compete with as many, you know, cash buyers as, you know, you have been over the last few years. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's been lot, lots of interesting studies done on, like, is it because people are moving out of San Francisco, high cost markets or New York, and they got tons of equity and they're just kind of just paying, paying whatever it takes. To, to them, get- it's the values there, right? They had like a 3000 square foot in Palo Alto or whatever. And then they move somewhere else where they can get a 6000 square foot house, same price. Yeah. Or less. I mean, you you look at San Francisco, like Tahoe, as an example, or Sonoma. You yeah. know, their home, their prices just skyrocketed because all the people from the Bay Area, yeah. who had tons of equity, tons of money, and went and I thought, oh, okay, I can get you know six thousand yeah. square foot house for like you know a couple million. That's like I get a two bedroom, right. you know, apartment. The in, old house, know. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, it's we've seen it in San Diego too. I mean, you know, some of the tech coming down and saying I can live in. Yeah, I have some beach. neighbors or. Or, you know, coming in from L.A. I have some neighbors from L.A. now. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of new. Right. right? But yeah, because they were they thought, you know what? I got to get out of the city. I got to, you know, find a more of a, you know, suburban lifestyle, I right. guess, by yeah. the beach. So in L.A. is not yeah. doing, not going in the right direction, I don't think, you know, yeah. as far as 
just homeless and all the yeah, other the issues. lifestyle issues that people have there yeah. And, yeah so yeah so that's uh so I, I think i agree i think there's some opportunity i think there's gonna be a lot of cash out like you probably saw in your career earlier like when there's you know higher rates people and a lot of equity people tend to do cash out loans yeah. right to tap into that equity and pay off credit cards or pay off different things so i, I think that'll be kind of where things go this year there'll be more cash out refinances uh, maybe interest only loans because they can keep their payment the same, you right, know, and then right, hopefully right. wait for another dip in the market to refi again. And um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, non QM is is predicted to double this year. And and I mean, you know, we yeah. all have think we have crystal balls, right? But yeah, I think, you know, you know, we've been talking about non QM moving up uh, volume moving up for, for a long time. But I think it's hard to move up when the rate environment is that low yeah right and so now as if someone's thinking of a two in their head and then they're looking at a four they're like yeah, Ugh. yeah. but but when, it, when it's at a four and it's a six then it's different right, right. and um, so i do think the non-qm uh business will grow because yeah. the rate environment will kind of you know the margins will thin out there but um yeah so i think um and also yeah we'll see i mean we'll, we'll see how um the demand for for housing looks like going forward but yeah we also know the home prices have moved up i mean you guys are in the jumbo side right and yep i you know the home prices are crazy they're and, crazy and it, it you know i think what san diego we went up by like what 20 25 percent or something, something like last that. year some something crazy and hopefully that's not that i mean that you can't, can't keep going 2020 yeah you, we, income's not growing by 20%. Right. Right. And so at some point that that gap, there's going to be this wide gap that's that's you can't you can't leap over that gap anymore. Yeah. And people it's can't gotta buy calm homes down. Yeah. 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 It's interesting, you know, with the cause some of the cash buyers are institutions, right? I mean, not, I think I don't know the data on it, but you hear, you know, a lot of it's maybe it's Vanguard or these big, you know, BlackRock or whatever yeah. buying up homes and, and then, you know, you get some of the the say the small guy right like the the just the family that's trying to get their first house or you know the millennials that are trying to get their first house and they just get bit out and does any of that concern you or do you think that'll just balance out this year well it's still if you look at uh institutional investors still represents a small percentage of um you know asset holders yeah. still now it does it does over time um it makes it harder for people who are, you know, first time buyers, kind of moderate income individuals, it's going to be very hard to compete. Right. Yeah. And, um, and you, you do see sort of the home ownership gap that that is kind of forming yeah. um, in the market that's even wider than it was before for certain right. populations. And so more investors kind of coming in, it's it, it, that makes it tough, but it is still not way outside of historical norm in terms yeah. of the absolute, absolute numbers. So, um, yeah, but it's, you know, th these kind of um, single family rental strategies of, you know, Black Rocks, all the major institutions of the world. I mean, it, it is it is crowding the space a bit, yeah. you know, but but I, I, I do think, you know, um, they're, they're not dumb either. They're going to kind of do it as long as there's sort of a return. As long as the rents keep going up, right? Rents keep going up. At some People point, pay it, the rent. Right, yeah. at some point that may, you know, even out, you know, so. Right. So we'll see. It's crazy how much rent has gone up in this area. I mean, I, I haven't looked at it, but people I know who are looking to rent are like, it's gone up so much, like almost doubled in the last couple of years, right. the rent. Yeah, it, it's like everything's gone up, right? Yeah. It's expensive to buy and it's expensive to rent. Expensive and, to build. 
and so you see that's why you see people there's a little bit of out migration of people because of it right they're going right. to low cost arizona you know, idaho Florida. yeah like my nephew who like he's like you know what i can't you know he's newly married and he's like i can't buy anything here so i'm i'm leaving uh, they moved to denver yeah and with right. remote work you can do it you can do it now and um mm -hmm. i mean you can't remote work won't be everywhere but it, it's still gonna be more than what it was before the pandemic right yeah people have adjusted to that and so there are sort of this perception that you can move to you know wherever Denver, in Idaho, yeah. yeah wherever middle middle of nowhere as long as you have a good <laughs> wi-fi connection you're good yeah. right as long as you can yeah, get connect stay connected um so uh what i was going to ask was um you did mention some some about like the, there's a disparity or there's some widening of you know people who are renters versus homeowners have do you have some data on that like do you know what what's causing that i mean obviously the price gap right the price is going up and but do you have data on like what percentages at all with you or uh in terms kind of, of uh renters versus well you know yeah. we, we know we know that average renter in this country I mean, it's a nation nationwide figure it's like if you're looking at an average renter their their net worth in this country is like it's like i think on average it's like a few thousand dollars if you're an average renter yeah if you're an average homeowner you're like you your average average net worth is like 150 or something like that so mm -hmm. homeowner versus renter there's this huge gap in right well net right? worth yeah in net worth um now the the challenge is because the rental costs have moved up mm -hmm. you know people aren't able to save right you know your all your money is going towards the rent and right. whatever else living expense you got um and so you're not safe you're not able to save to be able to move into a home right? right so that that is a concern to me which is you know the this the the sense of an american dream of renting working and doing whatever you're going to do save and then buying a home yeah i i think that that vision has sort of kind of it's like getting fuzzier and not, mm. not quite as reachable as it mm. used to be and that is that is a problem as a society like people yeah. have to see upward mobility as a is something that they have a shot at. If right. they stop seeing that, it it does create, I think, underlying issues for us as a as a community. So yeah, hopefully, do you hopefully, see that trend like going up? Like we're. I'll give you an example. Y yesterday was MLK Martin Luther King Day. Right? Yeah. Yesterday, you look at the since the Civil Rights Bill and all that was passed, um, you know, in the '60s, mid '60s, um, to now, the homeownership rate for african-american community right now in this country is actually lower than, than it then. was then wow and so you kind of go okay how do we fix that thing because you know homeownership rate i think for um african-americans are like around low 40 percent like 42 43 percent mm -hmm. uh for average white family in this country it's like 72 percent wow it's that's a that's a 30 percent gap yeah in wealth yeah creation opportunity right right and I think as a as a society, that's why we're in the business we're in. It's like, okay, what do we do mm -hmm. to be as part of the solution? Because it's not the lending industry can't fix it on its own, or the right. home building industry can't fix it on its own. It's a bigger issue, but it is it is a symptom that we have to kind of look at very carefully, yeah. um, because over the long haul, that kind of disparate experience as a as a community is not a good thing. No, uh, for all of us. I think some of it's education, right? With how how to to buy property and how yeah. to, yeah. you know, there, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's on social media. I get constantly get like, you know, classes on how to become this or you yeah. know, and, and there's a lot of coaches out there trying to, and yeah. maybe they're trying to make a buck to sell 
you know, teachings, yeah. like on how they... Well, financial literacy is important, certainly, right? Yeah. And it's, it needs to be taught earlier. Like the, the rich dad, poor dad thing. Yeah, yeah. But it, it needs to be taught earlier in the, in the um, in you know, maybe high school or, you know, people... Mm-hmm. Not everyone goes to college, you know, so you should right. learn stuff like that earlier on. Um, I mean, you can learn it with YouTube now, right? I mean, Yeah, like yeah you can just... learn it everywhere. But, but, the, but the bigger issue beyond knowledge and education around these things is this if you look at if you look at um first-time buyers Mm -hmm. and a lot of times you know uh, when i was a first-time buyer my parents gave me a few thousand dollars right it wasn't my house wasn't that expensive so it didn't really matter right it was a few thousand bucks that they had they gave it to me to help me with my down payment right right but if you look at um if you look at how like an average african-american an average white person um uh the white uh first-time buyer mm-hmm. uh, are four times more likely to get down payment assistance from, from their parent yeah right than a black person so that means what happened what, what that means is that there is this wealth gap that's stalling the ability for black Those families to yeah. give to their so that that stops wealth creation right because that you don't does. have the money to yeah. begin with right so because yeah, you take a trajectory out for yeah. years and what happens right you have people staying down and you have the people yeah so so education alone can't fix that yeah there's a wealth gap at the to start with right and so yeah you can educate the heck out of everyone but like i, I don't have the down payment so what do you, payment, what do you mean to do screwed, yeah right so well, so you said in, during the civil rights that it was higher do you it was think slightly, it was slightly higher it was slightly but higher. It, so it, it hasn't it, improved it went up it yeah. went up a little bit and but during the whole subprime thing the the black community really lost a lot because it was a lot of targeted subprime yeah, lending terrible loans right it was terrible so- and a lot of a lot of african-american communities lost homes during that period of time because yeah. of subprime uh you know pandemic <laughs> I right. guess. you know and and uh you know the hispanic community is facing similar not quite as extensive an issue um Mm -hmm. as the the black community but you know there's a challenge there um in the in the asian community actually the home ownership you know one of the organization that i was involved with when we started at aria um some 19 years ago the home ownership mm-hmm. rate for the asian community was in the low 50s like 51 52 percent okay now it's at 60 so we've actually moved that's it up. increased yeah that's increased um but it's uh, it's also just you know you have to look at the demographics of people within the asian community which is really highly educated a lot of immigrants who have come here to take um take on um really you know high paying very professional jobs right, right. And so th- that the same barriers have not always been there, although for a certain Asian community that's not always the case. Right? There is every, every there's a bell curve to everything, right? There's right. well-to-dos and there are people who are really struggling, and so you know we have to kind of think about all of those things. Um, well, uh, I know you have some. You're working with nonprofits, or you you started a, a nonprofit or two. Tell tell us how we as you know loan officers, mortgage brokers can help change some of this because i because i agree it's like that shouldn't be the way the case right it shouldn't be going down from when the civil rights you know movement happened it should be just like with the asian community should be going up and 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 getting better there should be better home ownership ability is there something that you know that we can do or that you guys are doing to to help better that yeah it's this is going to require a lot of effort on part of a lot of folks right it's not this is not a um can't flip a switch. Yeah, it, it. the lending industry alone can't change this. There's yeah. a, it's a broader issue of things like education and access, you know, income, wealth creation opportunities, and right. 
and jobs. You know, ultimately it's about jobs. And um, but we have a part in that solution, right? And I, I do think there is a big part that is education related, mm -hmm. and some of it is also outreach related, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure. You know, historically, as you know, there, there's a term called redlining where people yeah. would not go and lend in certain markets, right? Um, and we have to reverse that in some ways. We have to go and go in and seek out opportunities for people with good products. Yeah. So what I would encourage the the broker industry, the lending industry as a whole, is let's go into communities that traditionally has been underserved, mm -hmm. and let's see whether we can provide some products and service that makes sense for them in the yeah. situation they're in. So that's number one. I would say two, as a loan originator or a, a broker, um, uh, there are a lot of nonprofits in local communities that are doing, you know, credit counseling to financial literacy mm -hmm. or mortgage readiness training. Mm -hmm. There's tons of them. Yeah. Um, and I would just go and volunteer. Say, how, okay. how can I help you out? Yeah. You don't have to, I don't, it doesn't have to turn into a lead necessarily for me. Right. But how do I help out? And yeah. over time, that kind of work will convert into opportunities in terms of business. But sure. I think you kind of have to go in there saying, hey, what do I, how do I contribute the best yeah. I can? How do you add value? And then that's just kind of naturally how things kind of can, can, can pro progress into, you know, you give and it kind of comes back, right? It's a right. reciprocation. Like right. it's, it's, um, yeah, so I think I think just just you know giving people honest third party assessment of their situation, what they need to do to get to homeownership. Yeah, that that's very valuable. Right, and I think we all can play a part in that. Um, you know, and and someone was saying yesterday again yesterday was MLK Day, and uh, someone was saying, can you you know a lot of people were posting stuff about MLK right, and, right. and all that you know his amazing quotes. And they said, well, instead of doing that, quote, are you going to live his legacy the 364 days outside of MLK Day? Right. right? Are you just trying to get attention? Right. With right. Like everyone's posting, you know. So I think it's kind of incumbent upon us to kind of step it up. Yeah. And, you know, if it, if, even if it's small, I mean, you can, everyone can call up a nonprofit in their local community and say, hey, what can I do to help? Yeah. I'm a mortgage expert. Can I, can I speak and yeah. educate? Or right. You know, maybe tell talk to you guys about some programs that can help you get into home ownership. Exactly. And yeah, yeah, I like that. That's uh, it's hard. You know, sometimes we just don't think of it. It's like we're so inundated with our pipeline and our closings. Yeah. And, well, we, we're gonna yeah. have less business this year, so, yeah, we're, so we're gonna have a little more time to think here's, about. Here's some ideas for yeah. for my for my listeners to to branch out and see what they can do to help. Well, last back two years, out. obviously, everyone was you know drinking out of a fire hose, and it yeah. just it was too hard to yeah. to um, do anything but just to chase you know try to close your deal, right? Right. And um, but I think we'll we'll have a little bit more time to be thoughtful about things this year and hopefully, cultivate. Hopefully, people save some money and <laughs> hopefully they didn't spend it all in Cabo or wherever they went, right? Exactly. Um, but but you know we we hope um, we hope it gives them a little bit of time to kind of think about what they can do to get back. But yeah. also that that'll cultivate new relationships uh, over time as well. Sure. And so what you know you seem passionate about this kind of thing. What kind of got you into that? Uh, about um, maybe your background or well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, um, I, I came to this country as a as a young child. I was okay. nine years old, so uh, immigrant. Did you know English? I knew no zero. Like wow. I knew nothing. I think I knew uh, I knew um, the word Disneyland. <laughs> I think was the only thing I knew when I landed in this country at, at wow. nine. I remember my second day. I came and I was saying we were we had an uncle who was here and. Uh, I remember this tall, very tall. I thought he was tall because I was, you know, nine. I wasn't that big. But um, this tall um, postman comes by, drop off the mail, 
and he says hi to me, right? I didn't know what to, I didn't know what, how to respond because I yeah. don't know what that meant exactly. All I knew is I thought, you know, oh my God, this big guy is saying something to me Say and I just hi. ran, in the, I ran in the house. And so, <laughs> so that was the beginning of my experience in, yeah. <laughs> in America. But where did you move to and where'd you move from and where'd you move to? Um, well, I, I, um, was in Korea and I, okay. we, um, uh, moved to, um, well, we were supposed to actually go to, uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah. That's where we're supposed to go. But we, um, but we did a pit stop here in, um, in LA, Orange County. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was in January. And the weather was perfect. It was sunny. And was my, it cold in Korea then? Korea, Korea weather, weather in South Korea or Seoul, mm-hmm. um, that part is like comparable to like a DC weather, which could be a little bit of snow sometimes, but cold, okay. like 30s, 40s, and all yeah. that. And so when we got here, we're like, all right, I, th- I don't, I don't think we're gonna keep going. <laughs> yeah. And so we ended up just staying um, in uh, Orange County, but you know, my parents had a very, you know, kind of a modest life, right? You know, the immigrant as immigrants in the mid 70s, you couldn't yeah. really get a professional white collar job, anything. Right. You just were. That was not an option. You had people who were doctors who came, who couldn't get a job as a mm-hmm. doctor again. They couldn't even work in a medical facility because wow. they wouldn't hire them, right? Right. So people, that's why you saw a lot of entrepreneurship and small business owners because that's the only way they could make ends meet. Yeah. Um, my dad was uh, became a gardener, right? My mom became a seamstress hmm. because that's the only way they could make money. They right? could make money. They did what they could. My mom worked overtime and this and that. And, and um, yeah, so they saved enough money um i think about two three years in i don't know how they did that but they saved enough money to buy a condo um in um in orange county and then two investment two three years later two three years later that you know they made a chunk of money on that and then they flipped not it wasn't a flip because we lived in it but we moved to another place in irvine Mm -hmm. uh, which was back then was mostly orange groves Uh, but Mm -hmm. you know we um ended up buying a place there and and there you have it. And and that home, that's why it's like I keep talking about the home and why it's so important that American dream. What the power of home ownership does yeah, for families. That, yeah, because that home, the appreciation, the equity that was built up over those years really gave them an opportunity to start a business. Mm-hmm. It gave uh, us an opportunity for me to go to college and my sister to go to college and, and all the other things. And, and, and they've had a couple of failed businesses along yeah. the way. It, that equity helped them cover the losses, right? Yeah. And so... It's, it's, um, I don't know if, if you think about it, I, I don't know how our life would have been if we didn't have a home that we own. Right. Yeah. And so that's why, that's why when I think about people, immigrants and other low income individuals, or even modest income individuals, when they're struggling to buy a home, I think about myself, yeah, my parents and what it took right. to make it. The right? sacrifices they probably had to you know save a ton and yeah. not not spend much and just exactly. sacrifice yeah and, and and i want to make sure that everyone has that shot yeah at, at that chance at yeah. making it and doing well right and right. Uh, and that's i think that we're sort of it's we have an obligation as a as an individual but as a as people in the business to say okay how do we open more doors yeah. be responsible about it and how do we get back right and that's that's why for me 30 plus years this has been kind of my, um, I don't know, my, I don't want to call it a call, calling because it sounds like, you know, yeah. I'm no Gandhi. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> but, it's like mortgage but, business counting numbers and collecting paperwork is not, you know, curing cancer. It's not like a, it's not like something that everyone wakes up and, you know, yeah. so excited to do. But if you have 
some kind of purpose behind it yeah. and you have a way to see impact yeah. even as you know we're not firemen and saving lives but we are impacting people every day when we get them a you know home ownership and they they were able to now have something they can pass on to their kids yeah. or you know whatever it is right exactly well you know it, it just think about that thing right average renter average net worth being yep. a couple thousand bucks average homeowner 150 or whatever right. thousand that that massive difference in net worth has a huge impact on the trajectory of their life and trajectory right. of their kids lives and that's that's what this is all about right and so right. we have to always remind ourselves like this is not we're not, we're not pushing paper we're not just you know dealing with trying to collect you know. our next commission yeah <laughs> i mean of, of course you have to pay the bills but right. i think i think we have to celebrate the business we're in because it does impact people's lives so yeah i've seen what it's done to to my life i mean my my parents you know moved around we moved 17 times growing up and my dad you know was he's a he's a pastor or yeah. you know he was a minister and so yeah. it it changed our lives when we you know when they finally settled down in san diego and, and were able to buy a place uh it's crazy i think they bought theirs for like 250,000 and it's like over a million dollars that's you know just used you see what happens, right? You know, yeah. if, you, if you're able to get in to the home ownership, and I don't think that's going to stop. I mean, yeah, it might not be 20% increases, but it's always because of inflation or whatever. Yeah. You're going to have this equity gain, yeah. you know, that you... Historically, home ownership, uh, home, home value have, it has increased somewhere in the round of 5 to 7%, which is like right. solid. Right. And we have also have to remember that 5 7 is not is not your return amount, really. It's based on how much you put down, right? Right. So it's, oh, the, it's lever the leverage, yeah. The leverage, people go. So when I, I go, don't talk about five, seven percent increase in home, you know, home no. value. It's way more than that compared to what your down payment is. Right? Yeah. So where else can you take a twenty thousand dollar, you know, down payment yeah. and gain hundred in equity, hundred k in equity, or fifty? I mean, you know, sure, maybe early days of Bitcoin yeah. or something, but you know, that, Facebook stock in the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> but now it's, but it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a known quantity you know yeah. what it is it's an yeah. asset that you know right and so i think it's always going to have that upward movement and um i mean there'll be we've had a good run yeah. as an industry for a long time so who knows maybe maybe it drops a little bit but i, I think as long as the supply con continues to be constrained um yeah. overall it just won't go down the way i think we've seen it the last go around which was a last go around um because i was in the default business you know i had distressed asset business right yeah. back then it went down uh because there was too many buildings too many homes relative to too people much supply right? and then not a lot of equity not a lot well like sometimes zero negative equity. yeah <laughs> right i mean to start out right like yeah. so many zero down zero income zero yeah, assets yeah, yeah. it was like you know i don't know how many millions of loans were made like that but you think back and and yeah this now is different like half yeah. the purchases are cash right you know so many people have equity already just from the run-up you know right. and if there were to be another you know like kind of a sell-off where a bunch of stuff came on the market you'd have people would have the ability to at least sell yeah. their homes there, plenty they have equity. Of, yeah there's plenty of cushion in there i do think you're, i think you mentioned this earlier the the home equity business is going to do well i think yeah. because people are sitting on a lot of money yeah and um they'll take it off you know for lots of different reasons that they right. need um but you know I'm, although I, I i people are spending a lot of money on like you know fixing up their homes right. nowadays right so there could be more of that yeah uh if you can find a contractor that'll right. show up <laughs> exactly 
yeah, you, you finally find one and then they get COVID and you're like, what? Oh, yeah. yeah. Got to delay again. Or and they would say, oh, you know, that, that particular, you know, whatever, that cabinet, oh, I can't, you know. Can't get it in. I can't get it's it gone. in anymore. Yeah. It's gone. So uh, the Asian Real Estate Association, you're, yeah. um, tell me about that. Well, um, I'm going to go back a little bit further. I remember when I was a lobbyist, I remember, you know, I was telling you about that. Yeah. Uh, I lobbied in Congress. This was was over. it for the mortgage business or real estate or was you lobbying um, for what? I was, uh, I, was, I was lobbying for cities and states to get federal funding for affordable housing, okay. homelessness, job training, yeah. and so on. Right. Okay. So, for, so mostly for low wealth, low income communities. Yeah. Um, that's what I was lobbying on. This is going way back. Um, 25 years ago maybe or? No, no, 30, 30, 30 oh, some wow. odd years ago. Yeah. So I... Um, so that had a tremendous influence. And I was a young guy back then. I was just, you know, yeah. I thought I can conquer Like newly out of law school or? Um, like, uh, I had policy school, policy, master's okay. in policy. And then I um, went and did that for a few years. Um, but it was, uh, it was an amazing experience, obviously, uh, back then as a young man. But it's also one thing that was kind of imprint that I had in my head after what it was, was that when I went to Congress to lobby on different issues, there were very few people of color diversity mm-hmm. lobbying on issues and so on i would say the african-american community maybe was a little exception because politically much more active yep for, from you know way back when but particularly for the asian community we saw no one i, mm. I saw no one that looked like me wow. working on any issue so i remember back then i said if i could ever help in any small way uh, to organize and bring together our community to further an important cause, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that every yeah. time, right? And so, because of that, um, some folks came to me and they said, "Oh, you know what? We're thinking about starting this Asian real estate group and this and that." And I was like, "Okay, let me let me. I want to help you with that." Yeah. And I gave them the, their first kind of ma- major grant to get mm-hmm. it off the ground and some funded some research, um, and then ultimately I ended up having to run it at the back of my office for about a long time. But we have a professional set of staff um, that run it every day. And it's um, it has grown. You know, when I obviously started, you know, when we, when we got it going mm-hmm. 19 years ago, we had zero members and what have you. Now we are at like 18,000 members, wow. 43 chapters. Um, we have events, literally events almost every single day of the year. This was prior to the pandemic, of right. course. Now there's less, but there's still quite a bit of events going on, mm-hmm. virtual, in person. Um, and so it's it's really built into this very powerful movement. Um, we also, um, the organization also pushes on a lot of important policy issues uh, related to home ownership barriers uh, mm-hmm. for minority communities. So we work on those things as well. But it's really a great networking uh, venue. Uh, it's a great uh, way to learn about other people's and their business that they got going on uh, from a LO or a broker point of view. It's a great organization to get involved with if you want to get involved with the Asian community. Yeah. Right. And so if you're doing, you know, um, jumbo loans, Asian community actually does, uses quite a bit of jumbo loans because we tend to be in higher cost markets. Right. Generally. Um, so it's, it's a great way to kind of connect in. Yeah. You know, through and that's not- the key to getting referrals, I think, is when you connect in and you give to them and you get, you know, it's his reciprocation. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, the thing is this, it's, it's like people, when they go, when they're involved with the nonprofit work, people's 
they're not there you know they you know tech i mean there there's exceptions but for the most part people they're for the good for the yeah. positive good reasons mm-hmm. right and so people's cards are down they're more likely to connect with you and build a relationship with you right and so i always say it's it's do good do well you know mm-hmm. you know that's i think that's a good model to kind of live by um, yeah. in the business we're in try to give back all the time because it'll come back to you right that's right. important yeah because it does it, uh, you, i've seen it firsthand as well um so if kind of to to continue on that same thing if a broker wanted to get involved like how how would they go about it? is there a website or how yeah do, how if, they if they go to um aria.org so a-r-e-a-a.org mm-hmm. um there's you'll, there's a listing of chapters throughout the country so they're all the, over the country it's all over and so um you don't, they'll see where they can go to um join that's and, great. And then they'll get plugged into those, you know, whoever the local chapter is. It's a national organization, but, you know, national, you know, ha- is sort of meaningless unless, you know, you, you kind of go, okay, I'm going to go to three events a year. It's hard to build relationship that way. Right. When you're there locally involved, uh, you, you, you know, kind of build a, it's a relationship business at the end of the day, right? It is, and, yeah. and you have to show up, you have to support, uh, you have to just kind of get to know folks. Um, and, and and business will follow at some point uh, right. when you do that. I agree, hundred yeah. percent. Um, so you, you were talking earlier about appraisals and mm. appraisers. Mm. You want to go into that more? Yeah, I, I know. Aside from, I mean, like most of this industry, diversity is lacking. Yeah. Right, and particularly in the appraisal side, um, and so it's it's generally older, generally white. Yeah. Right? Why, do that, why usually, do you think that happened? Why do you think that that do you think Old, like at one point, a bunch of white people really wanted to be appraisers, or do you think it was just there was a, you know, I, I'm just curious, like how that happened. I don't, I don't know what how exactly it happened, but you know, you got to remember that, um, you know, it, before the '60s, which you know, for for us, like I was born in the '60s, but you know, you you weren't yet, '70s, yeah, you know, '70s. Um, it, it, you forget that there were a lot of things people of minority background could not do, right. Right, and so because you don't have to have a college degree to be an appraiser, you just have to have find it like an apprentice. I'll I'll give you an example. In the '60s, um, if you were of somewhat of minority background, right, you could not be a part of the local board of realtors. Mm. So they they said if you're a minority, so I'm not going to let you in. So you have to. So if you wanted to be a realtor, yeah. In the '60s, you had to work outside the system, Mm. right, and you you had to kind of so. It's a case with a lot of the business we're in, right? Where where historically you were kind of precluded from being a direct participant okay. in it, and so when you had that legacy, it's hard to break. Yeah, and and, and you you're kind of it's shocking, right? Right. That because that you know grow, growing up, you know we didn't grow up in the '60s. You were born in the '60s, right? Yeah. So you know growing up in the '80s and '90s, I really had seen the '90s, yeah. like, and then finally getting into like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, we didn't. That wasn't on our radar. It was like that. You know, that the, the minorities couldn't become a real real estate agent. Like we didn't. We didn't experience that. Right. As you know, our generation, but our parents' generation for right, sure. Right, right. Right. And so, so, so what happens is that there's a, so the legacy impact. Right. Yeah. People, the legacy of that, and when you see a certain industry that was built that allowed only a certain population in, mm-hmm. it just kind of perpetuates itself. So if you look at even appraisers, they'll 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 find a lot of people, rightly or wrongly, that there's unconscious bias in everyone in yeah. some level. So a white appraiser 
is going to train. It's, Another you have white to, appraiser, yeah. Yeah, it's because that's who they know. That's right. who comes from their that's community. That's how gangs get started, right? They, right? they all like each other and similar yeah. and, you know. Exactly. And so, you know, unconscious bias kind of creates this kind of this snowball effect, right? right? And so what happens is you got to... You got to step in and say, "Hey, I this just trajectory is not working. We need right. to bring other people in." It's starting to happen now to some extent, yeah. but it is slow. Yeah. Right. And now there's certain parts of this industry, like the appraisal industry, I think will will some to some degree get disintermediated because of technology right. over time. So it may be a non-issue at some point, but for now it is right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 not easy. Th- these are not easy topics to solve, right? I mean, it's just we got it takes time and takes effort and energy and yeah. and awareness, knowing about yeah, it. Right? We just have to be mindful. I mean, you have right. to kind of recognize. You know, we we went all the way back to the '60s, which was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but you have to be mindful that there are a lot of things unless you make a conscious effort to make a change. Yeah. It just doesn't happen, right? It, yeah. It just it, inertia typically wins the day. Right. Right. And so I, that's all. I think that's what, you know, that's an obligation on our part. Right. We, we, yeah. We're, you know, I'm sort of tail end of my career. You know, you're still right in the middle of it. But we have a we have a moment in time to make certain things happen. Yeah. For the good of everyone. Right. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's something that we should we should think about, you know, as mm-hmm. as someone who is very fortunate to be in the business that pays well. Right. You get to just do some good stuff, you know, and yeah. Uh, you know, it's a blessing, right? And you think too, you know, you got to think about parents and what they, how they influence your kids, right? Yeah. I influence my kids to try to do certain things. Like I'm a songwriter also <clears throat> and, a, and a musician and, you know, my daughter's a songwriter and she's yeah. 16 and I'm like sort of pushing, you're not pushing her, but like encouraging that, right? And so like, you know, you wonder also with different cultures, like what they kind of encourage to be and like you I, I'm curious and I don't I don't mean this at all disrespectfully but like does the Asian community ever encourage their kids to be appraisers or do they're more looking like engineer or doctor or yeah. lawyer you know I, I'm I pretty mean, sure there's like zero zero family <laughs> saying hey be an appraiser yeah but I, you know but there could be that opportunity like say like at yeah. a high school yeah. um you know where here's some op, here's some things that you can get into yeah. and here's yeah. some fields right whether you're going to be like you know, like there's certain industries that are crushing it, you know, uh, that you would never think that are crushing it, but, and you don't know about it and maybe your parents wouldn't even know about it. Right. So, um, I don't know. I think it's, there's a lot to, to be done in that too. I just wanted to point that out cause I, I, I don't know. I, I just know I see it with my, my kids and what I'm, yeah, my but- son wants to get in the mortgage business and then, you know, go travel the world. And I'm like, it's hard, you know? Yeah, you could do it, but like, yeah, get in the mortgage business. You can make a lot of money and, you know, you have definitely have you know some wide open doors because of my you know my position and but um, you know it's it's interesting to see. Yeah, but then we, and in some minority communities, don't have the parent family household that's giving them that you know that kind of direction and yeah. you know like part part of it is I think you know, that's the, that's an important point, which is we do have to get more minority families involved in this business, whether yeah. as appraisers, well as whether it's LLs. To be honest, that's where that's how you're gonna have a bigger impact on home ownership rate for minority communities because right. people want to be, you know, uh, you know, approached by people that sort of look like yeah. you and, and a little bit work with people that they can they could relate yeah, to, right? Relate to, and yeah. so I do think as an industry we have to go out and identify 
loan officers, people, other segments of the business that we're in. Right. We should we gotta we gotta recruit folks in here. Yeah. And to to get them to be part of the solution. Um, but it also requires us to be very conscious about doing that. Yeah. Right? It doesn't. It's just not going to happen on its own. Right. Because right. uh, there's a stigma that a loan broker, or loan officer, is this old white guy. Right. right that's right. just kind of or a banker. That's an right. old white guy. Right. 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 Um, in, even with you know, I do. I did a podcast with um, you know, with with someone who's very involved with you know women and mortgages. So right. there's a huge push for women to get into mortgages more, right? Because it's been a dominated you know male industry, right? And so, well, I mean, there, it's it's going to become necessity in, in this way. Like I think right now, if you look at women, I think um, I think single women buy more homes than single men. Really? Yeah. I, I it's it's that those numbers are shifting on us quick, wow. and so you know. We got to figure that out, right? We got to yeah. we got to recruit more women into the business to in in, in those positions. Mm -hmm. And if you want to grow that side of the business, right? right. You know. And uh, the other thing is like I, I, some the market's changing on us all the time, right? And and the, the other day I was saw data around crypto that one out of every ten first time buyers use sold crypto hmm. to fund their down payment. One out of ten. One out of ten. Wow. I was like, how? How's that even possible? Yeah. Right. But is I that think millennials. Uh, these the are these are first time buyers. So first time buyers Could tend be to be younger. Yeah. Right? They tend to be younger. And so they're more like savvy about crypto and. I tell you, I I I think a lot of a lot of these young kids probably I don't know <laughs> invested a few bucks and yeah. now they're worth a ton of money. I I don't know, but one out of ten. It was done by Redfin actually did the survey. Wow. And so it was a I think somewhat semi legit yeah. survey, right? Oh, for sure. And so that number, my guess, is going to keep going up. Yeah. So that what that tells you also is, you better get younger people more involved in yeah. this business too, right? So it's you like got to be on the know on stuff like this. More, more yeah. diverse people, more women, more younger folks. You yeah. know, like even the real estate business. It's like real estate business is generally more white and older. The average mm -hmm. age of a real estate agent is like fifty-seven, mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's like my age. That's yeah. I'm I'm over the hill. So I I shouldn't you be look out there younger selling. Than that, but. <laughs> yeah, I should not be selling real estate, right? So, um, and some of them are really old and they've never updated their photo. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Most of them, most of the time, you get you're kind of shocked. Like, yeah, you're like, wow, that's a photo uh, from like your high school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's funny. Um, do you think non-QM will will help with some of the communities that we're talking about? I think it will. And I think yeah. we have to be we have to be very thoughtful about how we do it, yeah. uh, because I think some people um, will view non-QM like as subprime a, as a new subprime, yeah. right? And we have to be very thoughtful about how we roll that out, yeah. Um, because um, now, previously, you know, ability to pay. Um, was Within not a factor, yeah. was not a factor. Now ability you, to breathe is what we call it. Ability to breathe. <laughs> even then, I don't even know if you had to breathe, right? Like you go, okay. Yeah. Um, but you know that we have to make sure that that is upheld. We can't yeah. we can't bypass that, right? right? And I think giving people an opportunity for non QM non traditional lending, I think, is important because it does. Not everyone fits the box, yeah. And and I I do think us as an industry only being reliant on the GSE execution FHA. Yeah, you know that can't salute that can't be the solution for 100 percent of the population. Right. It it will for a big chunk. Yeah. But I I, I do think non QM is going to have to be a, an important solution to that. 
yeah right now the barrier is the the down payment right so where you know go with the gsc product you can do three percent down three and a half whatever and and with non-qm you're at 10 really if if that i mean i think there's stuff coming out with five but it's still 10 i mean primarily if you're doing a bank statement loan you know which is what really non-qm is is around mostly is bank statement loans you have to put 10 percent down so Mm -hmm. it's it's that's a challenge for a lot that's of folks. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of challenge for a lot of folks. Um, for the Asian community, not as much because we tend to put down more yeah. down payment than any other population generally. As a you know, uh, but how is that? And I'm not. I don't want to get too deep into like culture, but is it savings or is it family passing money down? It's or a is little it bit of both. A um, little bit of jobs both. or. Uh, so average Asian, Asian American in this country, average. Not this is not everyone. Um, sometimes it's these these averages hurt people at the lower margin because they don't get the help. So right. I'm always a little cautious about doing it. But on average, Asian Americans' uh, median household wealth is substantially higher even for, than the white community. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it is college education. Like mm-hmm. um, um, 50% of Asian Americans have a bachelor degree or higher. Okay. Right? What is, it, what is a white? National average is around 24%. Wow. Right? I thought so, that would have been a lot higher now with the college no, even with that, no, wow. it's like it's around that twenty-four, twenty-five okay. percent. Asian Americans are like at around fifty, um, and um, so average income is higher. Um, tend to live in higher cost areas, so mm-hmm. there's sometimes a little bit more equity built, mm-hmm. right? So because of all of those things, and the credit actually, the credit history of most Asian Americans tend to be pretty solid. Now there are people who have alternative credit because our Asian Americans are um, new immigrants to this country right so sometimes they have not built up credit yeah um, you know accordingly so it's a it's a challenge right mm-hmm. but but um, and they're, they're probably and I could be wrong about this but culturally there's there's a there's a hesitancy to borrow credit cards and things like that is yeah it? <laughs> live about you know live a lavish lifestyle that you can't afford <laughs> well it changes quickly right after a right. few years here in this country that changes <laughs> right. but um, but you know traditionally you know traditionally also if you come from most Asian c- countries don't have like these low down payment products right so people are used to 20 30 percent down yeah right and so in Mexico that, too you can't you, right it's hard to get financing exactly so what people do so, so they go okay well I need I need to save more also Asian community generally tends to be very price sensitive yeah in terms of rates and so they will try to get to 20% so they can avoid the MI and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. that's uh, that's part of it but you know um, it's just I, I think generally the income level credit you know history is generally pretty decent so it yeah it, interesting topics right I mean this is this is uh something you don't always think about you know on the loan application it asks these questions like are you native american are you you know asian yeah. are you hispanic not hispanic white black so it's um it's these are interesting topics interesting questions you know one also factor is you know what percentage of americans are are asian like you know do you know that yeah it's it's about six percent Okay. of the US population uh, are, are Asian Americans. Um, but if you look at... Uh, so that's a really small minority because I think uh, African American is what, 12, 13%? 12, 13%. Uh, Hispanic is probably like, I don't know exactly, but 18, 20%, I'm sure. It's something in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, in California, in California, Asian community is about 16%. Okay. So it's a lot, much... In California, there's more. In California, but yeah. nationwide, 
you don't have you don't find that many Asians in the middle of the country. Although that's changing, yeah, like it's changing. Uh, there's actually more Asian uh, Asian Americans in the South than there are in the Northeast, which is like New York, Boston, all that combined. Huh. Interesting, right? Which is because the migratory pattern, people are going to where the jobs are, yeah. right? And so that's so you see a big, Texas, is there... Texas is big, you know. Um, so maybe a lot Atlanta, of Atlanta, maybe or... Atlanta has a big Asian population, mm-hmm. but like you, you throughout South, it's you're seeing the growth uh, in places that are unexpected, right, yeah. for the community, but. Uh, it's it's six percent of the U.S. population, but it's growing at the it's it's growing at a faster clip than any population. Really, right? It's growing at a. Is it immigrant immigration that's growing? Primar- or is, it, is it children? Primarily, primarily, it's immigration based. Okay, um, but it's also people who are here, more kids. More or? kids, um, but um, so part of it is it's the growth that's really significant. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I kind of look at is this: um, the, while it only represents six percent of the U.S. population, uh, it represents twelve percent of the professional workforce. So wow. Asian Americans over-index in terms of work, wow. right? Yeah, and we all also over-index in terms of small business ownership in this country. Wow! So you kind of look at all of that, yeah. and you go, okay, that's why where the the purchasing power is like skyrocketing, yeah. for the community, right? Really, what what non-QM is is based on is the entrepreneur, or the business owner. So right. there could be a lot of opportunity, I think, in that. Absolutely, and and you see also business ownership for other minority communities because the hispanic community has really great entrepreneurial spirit and mm-hmm. so is african-american community as well so right. there are opportunities to support the, um, those communities through non-qm efforts as well that's cool yeah so we covered quite a bit of topics anything we missed that uh, you want to share with our audience I don't know. I, I think it's inappropriate to share anything more than what I've already shared. So, <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. And uh, what about any books that you recommend that you're reading, or any podcasts you're watching you could recommend? You anything know, that's helping. Uh, you know what? It's, it's just sort of a sad reason why I've gotten into particular uh, reading pattern that I've had recently. Is I don't know if you followed, but there there's been in the last couple of years a lot of hate crimes against Asian Americans in this country. Really, that number has sort of skyrocketed, particularly during the pandemic. Wow. Because people blame the whole from China, COVID as yeah. China, and so there was a lot of attacks of Asian Americans in like all the major cities. Like you, wow. you see those numbers like skyrocketing, right? So old el- elderly ladies getting mm. attacked, old men getting attacked and killed, and you saw Jeez. thousands of that all throughout wow. the country. And, and you the, don't see it on the news much. At least I haven't that, seen so it. That's the that's what we in the Asian community we say. There's a media bias. You're yeah. not covering these things right, right. for us. And so, uh, but the community has sort of stepped up and tried to raise awareness. Because of that, the last couple of years, I've read a lot of um, Asian-based novel, like, um, you know, authors, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called Pachango, which is, um, not Pachanga, which is a casino. Yeah, the, the casino. Pachango. Pachango. Which is a great, it's, it's a really great book. It kind of chronicles this family, a uh, Korean family, through sort of the Japanese um occupation of korea all the way to to modern day but it's just a beautiful story i i I love that there's also other books about kind of the asian american history that i've been reading a lot recently Mm um uh i'm reading a a book called the um the you know the loneliest american which Mm. is about the the cycle kind of the kind of mental state of the asian american community not feeling like they belong in this country right it's called the it's a great book um so I've been reading a bunch of books like that, mostly yeah. for me to just kind of like, I, I wanted to get inspired, but also just to feel more grounded in the work that I'm doing. Yeah, you know? that's great. 
Where does uh, someone find your work and connect with you? Uh, they they can connect with me. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. Yep. So it's just Jim Park. And but if they want to join like the Mortgage Collaborative, is it just dot com? Uh, yeah, Mortgage Collaborative. My Mortgage Collaborative is uh, is made up of lenders. So mm -hmm. you have you have in, in that case a, you have to own a company, right? You have to own a company. Yeah. So you could be a member. John. Yeah. I hope you come. I'm I'm you know it's probably time. I right, think it's Scott. time. You'll learn. You'll you'll learn a lot from it. It'll yeah. you'll, it'll be great. Um, but it, it's it's our lenders and also vendor partners, people okay. who are selling into the mortgage business. We Do you have, have to have a certain size mortgage company. No, no, we because a lot of our listeners are broker mortgage brokers. They own maybe a you know medium size or smaller you know mortgage shop. Yeah, it's you have you can't be a broker. You have to yeah, be. You have to actually be, have a warehouse line and all that. Yeah, you have to fund a loan gotcha. and so on. Um, but um, yeah, but we have we have some. Um, brokers who turned into lenders, lenders, yeah. mortgage, because they saw the, the the you know the the uh, the grass was greener yeah. the last couple of years on the other side. <laughs> yeah. So like, oh my god, I got to become a lender. So we have some uh, we have some okay. uh, members like that who, trying to grow and they probably get a lot out of it. Right, yeah. they've been a broker for a long large broker shop for a long time and they they they're you they know become a lender them. and they they actually th those those individuals uh, benefit a lot because you're around tons of experience experienced mortgage bankers yeah and they they can pick their brains day and night you know right. on how to kind of you know set up their operation so if you want to become a mortgage banker it'd be a good it's deal. a great yeah, yeah it's a great way free to, like education free support and people well, are not free i mean you got you guys got to make some money we make a little bit yeah but but it's but it's what you're going to do is you're going to learn from people that run the business every day yeah and it's sort of invaluable. And people are very generous in our network. It's it's, it's shockingly open about the, how they run their business. Yeah. And um, it's nice. That's it's good nice to, to know. That's good to know that there's yeah. they're, they're some kind. Yeah. So just look me up on LinkedIn or Mortgage Collab if they want to know about that or Aria or anything else I'm working on. Yep. Just shoot me a note and I'm happy to um, I'm happy to get anyone connected. Awesome. Well, definitely follow uh Follow, you know, Mortgage Collaborative and, and uh, you know, all, all the listeners here, just please like, share, subscribe, share this information if it, if it benefited you. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. John. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Really nice to get to know you. Yeah, you too. Yeah. All right. The Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast.